darlings, and welcome to the first episode of Monstrous Femme. I'm Lilith Leone, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ophelia Lovejoy and Mickey Smith. How are both of you doing today? I'm doing great. I had a an acupuncture appointment like an hour ago, and I just lit some incense. I'm zen as hell right now. I'm Ooh. very chill. Yeah, it was good. I've okay. never gotten acupuncture done. I feel like I'm too much of a fraidy cat for it, but you would recommend it? For sure, dude. Uh, <laughs> my acupuncture lady, I was, I get like really, really jumpy whenever she touches my back, uh, but mm, she like you. this one needle in the crown of my head and I'm instantly chill. It's like grabbing <laughs> the nape of the neck of a kitten or like putting <laughs> a blanket over a bird's cage. Like I'm immediately alive. <laughs> Mm, yeah i feel that i could use that for sure i'm such a high-strung anxious person <laughs> oh, um, yeah yeah and how are you doing ophelia i'm doing pretty good you know just hanging out with my cats making a lot of things that are apple and fall themed oh. a lot of oatmeal yeah that sounds so good <laughs> into the spooky season yeah indeed i'm so excited i know me too i'm very much looking forward to halloween actually this saturday i'm going to a like arts and crafts halloween themed thing <laughs> i'm not That's so wonderful. Well. but yeah it's like a little arts fair that does halloween themed really amazing artisan um things I, I can't find a more descriptive word than things because it's a wide range of like dolls to like things that i could not describe to like artisan soaps like they have everything Ooh. and it's amazing i go every year and i have since i was a kid and it's just so fun and i'm so happy that it's you know still around it survived covid and it's continuing to flourish and it has the most really is just like a spotlight on like halloween and kind of creepy gothic artisan stuff and i just love that so anyway Hopefully we'll have time later on to discuss uh, maybe some Halloween plans or what we're looking forward to this season. But first, let's kick things off by introducing ourselves, seeing as how this is our first episode. So I'll go first. Um, I am Lilith. I use she, her pronouns. I am the editor-in-chief of the Monsters Femme magazine, in addition to co-hosting this podcast. Um, I'm also a writer, and I write a lot of dark creepy supernatural stuff um including a supernatural historical fiction novel that i'm currently working on and hopefully with any luck i will actually finish this one because <laughs> i've started a lot of novels and um my track record of finishing them is not great anyway i am from san francisco born and raised um i'm a former feral child raised by wolves and current bourbon soaked fiasco who dresses like a gothic version of holly golightly I'm a Jewish agnostic secular humanist and low-key aspiring witch slash Wicca curious. We do, spoiler alert, have an actual witch amongst us, um, and I will try not to be jealous. <laughs> Maybe I'll get there <laughs> one day. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, I'm a big fan of old movies, art, musical theater, literature, history, museums, and anything involving animals, also anything creepy, gothic, etc., um for some icons and role models because why not throw that in there i really look up to nelly bly Nora Nyatt khan and kay thompson among many others my favorite scary stuff is well my favorite all-time horror movie is the shining i'm a huge stanley kubrick fan as anybody who knows me can attest to that i'm a little bit nauseating about it um i love interview with the vampire both the novel and the film i love the sixth sense i love the twilight zone 
I love The X-Files, Scream, Sans Lambs, both the book and movie. I'm also a fan of horror comedies like Beetlejuice, Ghostbusters, Rocky Horror Picture Show, a shout out to anything campy, um, and Nightmare for Christmas and Coraline and other stop motion creepy things. Um, and then I love the novel Sharp Objects. I have not seen the miniseries, so I cannot weigh in, but the novel I love by Gillian Flynn. I love the book Survive the Night by Riley Sager. It's amazing. I cannot talk. It is amazing. I said Sager, so that tripped me up. It's amazing, <laughs> and I highly recommend it if you have not read it. It's a great book. Um, and I'm also into, as I mentioned, gothic stuff. So I love gothic literature, gothic art, and that includes things like, of course, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Lilith Leone. That's L-I-O-N-N-E, where I post a lot of old Hollywood content pretty much exclusively. And that is my deal. Damn, go off. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I speed ran mine for You're real. like, give me a give me a quick rundown of everything that makes you you. Go. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. My name is Ophelia, a queer disabled and plus size witch. Yes, I am the witch, and anyone <laughs> can be a witch, so I, you know, am down to tell everyone about it. Um, I am here on the West Coast. I spend a lot of time with my cats watching horror content. I really like a lot of the documentary stuff or like really niche internet mysteries. Those are very fanciful to me. Um, I also watch a lot of commentary content and Big Brother, which is an amazing reality TV show. If you don't know about it, it is <laughs> insane. Oh my goodness. I make art, I make music, and I am excited to learn more about your guys' interests in horrors and talk about it and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and um shout out also to ophelia for being incredibly talented and composing our little intro theme which will have played before the start of this episode um i'm mickey smith i am the resident canadian up in vancouver bc <laughs> i have a big passion for coffee i've been a barista for like two and a half years now um i work in like a third wave coffee shop and i can tell the origin of coffee just by the smell like down to the country like the, the growing wow. region um that's one of my special wow. talents i take a slurp and i'm like oh that's a good kenyan <laughs> <laughs> but um also i did drink like a pot and a half of folgers this morning so <laughs> i'm also a poor barista <laughs> um i uh i study creative writing at douglas college in new westminster bc and uh i'm led very lovingly by two amazing teachers amber dawn and wade compton they're fantastic authors and they they really inspire me and i'm beginning to like spread my wings a little bit into the tantalizing subject of speculative fiction um i have <laughs> two novels in the works and i'm very much looking forward to NaNoWriMo so i can actually uh write one mm. of them because uh much like lilith <laughs> yeah. i i often have many pots on the stove and yet none of them are cooking <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. when i'm not writing or uh pouring really awesome latte art i really enjoy reading i'm a very voracious reader uh i 
finished mm. two books this week. <laughs> wow. And, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started another one today. Um, and so I'm I'm really diving headfirst into just reading basically nothing but horror stories where uh, my two co-hosts, Lilith and Ophelia, are very into um, – like horror movies. I'm a big old baby. <laughs> I can't. I have to like pregame the anxiety before going to the theaters and like sleep with the lights on for two or three days. And then I come home and I'm like, so uh, I should update my will. Like I will be dying tonight. There's no way I can survive this. <laughs> there, There is a monster slash killer. But for some reason, like really graphic intense or extreme horror is like my comfort item (laughs) (laughs) so i'm definitely gonna be talking more about like horror uh authors uh the drama that's going on in the extreme horror community because there's always drama because they're little bitches sometimes (laughs) (laughs) shots fired i guess and um yeah, that's that's just a little bit about me. Oh, also, uh, I'm queer as hell. <laughs> if you couldn't tell from everything else so far, um, I'm non-binary mm-hmm. and I use primarily, actually exclusively, they them. I said primarily because sometimes I like to have like the drag persona of maybe a cis woman. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Ophelia, did you say your pronoun? I forgot. You... Okay, we'll throw them in there. No, now. I forgot. <laughs> I use she, they pronouns, but primarily they, them is preferred. So kind of before we get into, I mean, this is fun, but it's academic fun. I wanted to give a little explainer to people who might not be that familiar with the concept of the monstrous feminine. So this is going to be slightly academic. Hang in there with me. It's going to be short. And then we're going to talk about our feelings and stuff about the monstrous feminine. This is not going to be a whole academic speak podcast. So the idea of the Monsters Feminine was introduced by Barbara Creed, who is a um, film studies professor. And she basically kind of proposed this in a book she wrote, which came out in 1993, as being a key kind of aspect to horror, the horror genre. But I think it can also be applied to a lot of other genres, basically any genre where a woman appears, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, I thought about how I should like give a brief little description and a just a tiny synopsis um but as you might have been able to tell i'm a bit long-winded first of all and second of all i am not the best at academic speak i can do it when i'm actually in a classroom but when i'm you know just chatting it's harder to like tap into that side of me so instead what i'm going to do is i'm going to be easy on myself and i'm going to just shamelessly pull some quotes about her theology on this topic and about the book she wrote so this is and i will be including the links to these pages in the description for this episode on all platforms um anyway so from rudeledge they describe um her book as and kind of the thesis of her book it's they say in almost all critical writings on the horror film woman is conceptualized only as a victim in the monstrous feminine barbara creed challenges this patriarchal view by arguing that the prototype of all definitions of the monstrous is the female reproductive body with close close reference to a number of classic horror films including the alien trilogy the exorcist and psycho creed analyzes the seven faces of the monstrous feminine archaic mother monstrous womb vampire witch 
possessed body, monstrous mother, and castrator. Her argument that men fears women, her argument that men man fears women as castrator rather than as castrated questions not only Freudian theories of sexual difference but existing theories of spectatorship and fetishism, providing a provocative rereading of classical and contemporary film and theoretical texts. So, kind of what you get there is she's sort of disputing um, Freud, one of Freud's many theories, and honestly, good for her because Freud had a lot of not great takes on women. <laughs> I think we can agree. Um, yeah, and I really prefer <laughs> I prefer her her take on um, let me see I think there's way. another thing I wanted to read about uh, this okay this is from the Google Books synopsis of her text uh, the 1993 book and it talks about the male anxieties and that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about this so it says although a projection of male fears and fantasies the monstrous femme is nonetheless a terrifying figure and the first edition creed draws on julia Kristeva's theory of, ab of abjection challenged the popular view that women in horror are almost always victims by arguing that the prototype of all definitions of the monstrous is the female sexual and reproductive body she holds that patriarchal ideology constructs women as monstrous in relation to her sexuality and reproductive body to justify her subjugation Although a projection of male fears and, par and parsonoid fantasies, Monsters Feminine is nonetheless a terrifying figure who assumes at least seven faces. And here we mention this again, which I think is worth saying again, just because I find it really fascinating and it will probably come up. Archaic Mother, Monstrous Womb, Vampire, Possessed Monster, Witch, Devouring Mother, and Castrator. Reed's argument contests Freudian and Lacanian theories of sexual difference to offer a provocative rereading of classical and contemporary horror. So that's that little summation. I'll take this with a grain of salt because this is from um, her Wikipedia page, which, as we all know, Wikipedia is flawed. But this is just a brief synopsis they give on the monstrous womb. A woman's reproductive system has long been depicted as aberrant and intimidating. Creed places emphasis on this idea of the monstrous womb as the maternal body has been considered a source of anxiety to the male gaze. Creed argues that a woman's deep connection to natural events, such as reproduction and birth, is considered quintessentially grotesque. A lot of it ties into body horror. And I think that's what we see here with the monster's womb is that it's kind of an example of that, of like the body horror and seeing women's bodies and biological functions, or I should say AFAB bodies and biological functions as other, as grotesque, as monstrous, as dangerous, something to be afraid of, something that a lot of men have sort of a collective anxiety around. Um, and it says, Creed reflects back to the Renaissance, where the uterus is depicted in connotation with evil and the devil. The reproductive system within horror movies is often depicted as monstrous. For example, the 1979 film Alien clearly depicts this theory. Another example that they're not mentioning here is, of course, Rosemary's Baby. These ideals right. are clearly, yeah, these ideas are clearly embedded within phallocentric philosophy. Creed's, Creed's ideology of the woman's reproductive system is similarly analyzed within the works of Kristeva. So that gives you kind of a good overview of what the monstrous womb means. Um, so yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of sort of bad, I, and I think this kind of goes back to the male anxiety issue of like bad mothers, basically, if you want to reduce it down to that. The idea. Right. I mean, that's like the first woman in anybody's yeah. life. Yes. And so there is just something that is often portrayed in horror media and other media, too, as being horrific or monstrous about a mother that 
either fails at being a mother, rejects motherhood, rejects her child as a bad mother in some way or other. Like those depictions tend to be very, very harsh and a lot of times very misogynistic. And it comes up in horror. And it's interesting because I do just think that is a thing where we sort of do see women that fail to be good mothers in some way or other whether meaning to or not we kind of do view them through this monstrous lens and so it kind of goes back to that and it's it's shows up in horror for sure but i think it also shows up in a lot of other genres which is one of the reasons why this topic interests me is because i do think the monstrous feminine can be applied to like a ton of other genres there was actually a course offered by freud museum london um on the monstrous feminine and they talk about, um, as examples, they talked a lot about um, Medusa, Baba Yaga, uh, the Kuchisaka Ona, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which is the slipmouth slip woman of Japanese urban legend, um, and said, this is just a direct quote from their page about the course, there is no shortage of formidable female figures in folklore, film, and popular culture. But what does it mean to see these figures as monstrous? That's really interesting to me in particular because how I was introduced to the monstrous feminine is through a course I took on Japanese pop culture. And while we did look at like explicitly horror content, a lot of J-horror, we also looked at how the monstrous feminine came up in Studio Ghibli films. We looked at how it came up in ancient folklore and just old stories and old theatrical productions from Japanese history. And so it's prevalent in all these different things, even things that you would not really characterize as horror per se, or that would be horror adjacent. Um, And I think folklore and fairy tales are a really good example of that. Like you might not think the monster feminine would come up in those, but then when you actually give it some thought, you're like, oh yeah, obviously Bobby Aga is a great example, but there's tons of other examples as well. And so I think that it has a lot of, there's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to think about, and there's a lot that it can be applied to beyond just horror. Um, And then the final thing I was going to read, this is from Studies in Fiction, which is a blog. And it just says, well, Freud formerly claimed that women terrify because they are abnormally castrated. Creed seeks to dismantle these assumptions by holding forth that the monstrous feminine is exactly men's fear of the woman as a castrating other. Creed's theory is underpinned by a reversal of Freudian patriarchal worldview which holds the woman as an incomplete human being. In reply to Freud's male-centered views, she claims that the woman is, a, is whole without a penis and that, along with the reproductive body, is what, that, that is what causes fear in men. This new take would reveal important clues about patriarchal society, masculinity, and their apprehensions. The vagina dentata is the image she uses to illustrate this masculine fear of being castrated by a woman. The cover of her book is actually an allusion to the vagina dentata. It is a pair of lips with teeth showing red female lips that are sideways. So it's pretty overt. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that goes back to kind of the body horror stuff. And I just, I like this also because it is such a rebuke to Freud's thinking and him thinking that, oh, the woman is incomplete and this is what causes male anxieties. And she's like, no, it's that the woman is complete without a penis. And that that, along with the female reproductive body, is what men are anxious about. And I know I'm using the word female woman here, and I apologize just because that's kind of what the literature says. But I am referring to, like, AFAB. I mean, obviously, like, there are people with female reproductive systems that do not identify as women. And I do not mean to, to like, lump them in with this. But I also think it's important to note that, like, anybody that's perceived as female 
you know, this kind of applies to, even if they don't identify with it because that's the world we live in. So they might be subject to some of the same kind of misogyny and some of the same perceptions, even if they don't identify as women, if they have a female reproductive system, if they are AFAB, et cetera. But so that's kind of a brief little overview of what the monster feminine means. And hopefully that is somewhat comprehensible to our listeners <laughs> and to one another. Um, anything any of you want to say? I have some thoughts, but I would love for you to either of you to to share first. So I think that with the monstrous feminine, a lot of it comes from the fact that a lot of people think of women as either like victims or mothers or perpetrators and so i think that that's where the anxiety comes from if if a feminine character is innocent and then turns that innocence around and reveals a darkness it's shocking and it's twisted and it's not something that we expect and so that's why it, it becomes horrific and if you put a feminine character into the role of the mother if they fail to care for their counterpart who is often a male lead then they're seen as monstrous and they're seen as evil and then if they're the perpetrator then they are always seen as a monster because like how could a feminine character attack and hurt somebody in the same way that a man would i'm just thinking of like a lot of the times in horror mm -hmm. literature and horror movies it's always a woman getting hurt or a woman being the one hunted and so to flip the script i think is a power exchange and it's meant to in like instill extra anxiety into the audience because it's so unexpected and i think that that's where the monstrous feminine really shines because it is generally unexpected for these characters to come up and show this power but i think taking that power through violence is also something that speaks a lot to uh to queer and feminine people today um when i think of monstrous feminine i think of a mm -hmm. lot of different examples of course but one that's coming up to me right now is the uh, titular character in blindness by jose saramago where she it's a world encompassed by a plague of blindness and nobody knows where it comes from and everybody is blind except for this one woman and throughout most of this book uh she feels un unempowered despite having complete and utter power in this situation because she is the only sighted person in this book and she allows or rather she doesn't stop really awful things happening to the people that she cares about and wants to protect and she ends up having to take that power not by saying i'm sighted let me steer you because she feared that if she said i'm sighted then people would enslave her to do all of their bidding but she took it through violence against somebody who was the greater of the two evils between the military that was abusing these people before they themselves became blind and then a gang of ruffians that came into the uh, holding cell that they were being held in and so 
she used her sight to be able to go into the situation where one of the head ruffian was assaulting a woman and uh, killed him with a pair of scissors, which is seen as like a very feminine tool. Mm. And so I think of that when I think of the monsters feminine as a woman taking power to protect others or to protect what is uh, most important to her. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I, I definitely agree. And I think that's all really interesting points. Yeah. And it's just, it kind of, um, yeah. it, it reminds me of sort of this genre of female vigilantism, especially in recent horror, um, and kind of where it fits in that, in that sort of subgenre, because a lot of times those women are framed as sort of heroic or positive, but there's still this element of monstrousness to them. I mean, they are in the examples I'm thinking of, you know, literally killing people some of the times. Mm -hmm. Like I am one of the things that comes to mind immediately for me is hard candy. Um, and which for those who don't know is a movie about a young, young girl. I think she's supposed to be like about 12 in the movie. And she, it's sort of a, it's not, I don't think, intentionally meant to be this way, but it can be read as kind of a retelling of um, Red Riding Hood in a very dark way, where she meets this online predator, and then she ends up assuming full control over him, outsmarting him, and this is like a thing that she does, where she meets predators and will, like, kill them and take care of them. And it's like, you root for her, because of course you do, but it's also like, how are we meant to be seeing this female character exactly? Because she's definitely shown to be very, you know, kind of, you know, dangerous, obviously, and smart beyond her years and sort of um, a threat to a threat to men. And like the idea is, oh, well, she's only a threat to men that, you know, act badly like this. But then you sort of wonder how would a man perceive that, though? I think that a lot of men would still perceive her as being this monstrous other thing that is scary to them. Um, but you know, as from a woman's perspective, it's like this is kind of an empowering character, and that's the thing. Also, is like I think a lot of times with monstrous feminine characters, to men because they reinforce male anxieties, and they're kind of that's where you can kind of trace them back, trace the whole thing back to. It might be like these are unappealing, unlikable characters. These are the villains. But a lot of times, maybe to female audiences or to queer audiences they might look more sympathetically on those characters. Like, I think Carrie is a good example, which is, you know, one of the um, pieces of media that Barbara Creed talked about in her book. I think that's a good example of, of a character that is monstrous and fits the witch prototype of um, the, or the witch archetype of what Creed talks about in her book. I, I was going to talk about Carrie, actually. Like, um... Like, I had watched this um, movie a lot, like, growing up, and I rewatched it again recently, and I just, it's it's really crazy how, like, the there's, like, more than one architect. Like, Harry is not the only one in that story that is, like, of the monstrous femme, because her mother yeah. is also yes. an example of the monstrous yes. femme. And, like, yeah. I feel like even... To be said, the teenage girls could be an example of, like, yeah. the monstrous femme. 
like um the, it's it's a full like story um with a lot of different examples of what could be said about like perspective and humanity and just yeah. like um i'm actually doing carrie for my halloween costume this year <laughs> that's exciting i have this and you're like, gonna do like the the, the blood soaked dress yeah i have a prom oh. dress that i haven't worn Work. ever it's pink too it's light pink and Ooh. guess what carrie in the book she was meant to be fat Hell yeah. yeah. Like 14 pages in, she was described as a fat person. Yeah. But in the movies, they made her so skinny. And I'm like, okay, cowards. Yeah, Yeah, they skinny washed her as Hollywood (laughs) so often does. And it is infuriating. Um, I was a big fan of the book. So I definitely noticed that too. I've actually never seen the movie all the way through just bits and pieces and it did annoy me that she did not match the description in the book um i could go off into a rant about it but i will try not to but yeah and i think like i think carrie is a really interesting example because like you were saying it has a lot of not entirely positive but multifaceted at least depictions of women i think that maybe the well, I mean, I'm trying to think it's been a minute since I've read the book. I think i was going to say that i think the carrie's mother is really like the most monstrous um but then i'm like well maybe that's i mean i think chris is the main villain girl's name she's mm-hmm. terrible but yeah. I, I mean yeah she's terrible in a very teenage girl mean girl way and then in a bad mother um religious zealot way we have carrie's mother which is a whole interesting topic in and of itself and then we have carrie herself who is this victim carrie kind of reminds me a little bit of frankenstein in that way where she's sort of Mm -hmm. victim and then also the monstrous other thing that people should be afraid of because she has these powers and it's it's it just reminds me a bit of reading frankenstein how frankenstein goes from this kind misunderstood creature that looks fearsome and looks dreadful and is scary to everybody but is actually very nice and well-read and intelligent and just wants friends basically but people are so awful to him so consistently that eventually he kind of snaps and just breaks and starts killing people and so that kind of reminds me with carrie and the end of carrie and what ends up happening with her and to her i feel like maybe the most pure character in that book is possibly Sue. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know if the same is true of the movie because I haven't seen it, but I would imagine that's that they probably stay fairly true to the Sue character in the movie. Um, in the book, though, she's very sympathetic because, yeah, at the beginning, she kind of joins in on the bullying with this mob mentality thing and then is very remorseful about it and wants to do the right thing and wants to help Carrie and, like, you know, be nice. And there's something really human about that and i i do really like that depiction of a female character just being like because i think that that's the thing is a lot of times in media we see depictions of mean girls in high school but we don't really see how it really is where a lot of times they go along with it because that's the thing to do that's what their friends are doing but they might not actually feel good about it afterwards and i kind of like 
this sort of sympathy and like looking at a character who engaged in an act of bullying at the very beginning and then was kind of tormented afterwards and tried to make it right and then obviously didn't make it right but it wasn't through her fault right. um and so that i think is an interesting depiction of a of a female character as well i know also mickey um you had some thoughts about stephen king is that correct <laughs> well okay 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 before we go into that oh boy oh no my little uh so before we started this podcast lilith uh sent emails with a bunch of questions and uh she asked what's like your hot take on a celebrity and i said some things about <laughs> stephen king and then I'm in ready. our preamble before sitting down and and recording this she's like by the way we're gonna be talking about stephen king and i'm like oh, okay <laughs> so uh, yeah i am gonna be dragged through the mud episode one Got it. I'm wearing my galoshes. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people might agree with you because I think that I feel like Stephen King is kind of divisive at this point. Like you either there are people that love him and ride hard for him and then there are people that cannot stand him. So I feel like at the very least, you're going to have some people on your side (laughs) from that reason alone. So I had one or two things that I wanted to mention. Uh, So uh, from listening to you, uh, Lilith and Ophelia, talk about Carrie. I haven't read the book, nor have I seen the movie. Um, But a lot of the things that you guys were talking about, it made me think of um, two specific ideas that I think are very integral to the monstrous femme, which is one – kind of this expectation of like if you're going to keep treating me like a monster treating me like an other then i'm going to show you how monstrous i truly can be mm-hmm. which yeah. i think is a very um it's a very poignant perspective to come from because i think that a lot of uh young young women growing up kind of felt that ostracizing and that othering and they're like you yeah. know what fuck it if you want me to be a monster, then I'm going to be a monster. And I'm going to be the best damn monster you've ever seen. And mm-hmm. another point is, um, I think, a boiling over of having to conceal all of these, like, dark brooding thoughts or these expectations to be, like, constantly, uh, like, fair of heart and... Uh, kind and empathetic and remorseful yeah. all of those things that we associate with femininity when when you run out of that I mean it's going to be difficult not to be vindictive and I think that that also can come through a lot in monstrous feminine literature and media mm-hmm. um, and so I just wanted to throw in those two cents because I it, I got really excited thinking about it and I didn't know when yeah. to interject. No, that's both of you were doing yeah. so well yeah. spoken. I'm really glad you shared that. Before we go on to the Stephen King of it all, I will oh. say I agree. I agree here. Totally. I agree totally <laughs> with what you just said, and I think honestly. That's the other thing is like, I feel like the monstrous feminine can then be this empowering thing where intentionally or not, it becomes sort of relatable and identifiable and you can feel like, and it's interesting because I think a lot of times depictions of it might not be intended to be flattering to or toward women or AFAB people or whatever the case may be. But I think sometimes women or AFAB people or queer people that still identify with some aspect of it or other 
can look at those characters and those depictions and find something about it that is cathartic and it's sort of like um the way that a lot of gross men identify with the joker except not in that toxic (laughs) way (laughs) oh my god not in that like toxic way but like where they look at that and be like yeah here's a man that's that's ostracized and like then becomes the super villain like a lot of gross men feel that way Whereas a lot of just normal women that can't like meet the expectations that we have of women um, because they're so unreasonable in society that don't feel like they're enough, that don't feel like they're sweet enough, nice enough, pleasant enough, whatever the case may be, might look at a monstrous or monstrous coded female character in a horror or horror adjacent work and they might see something that reminds them of themselves and it might make them feel a little bit more recognized and a little bit less alone so it's this thing where it could be seen as very anti-feminist the monsters feminine and horror and you can look at that and be like oh you know this is um all about kind of male anxieties or you could look at it and be like this is kind of a response to male anxieties and this is kind it of also it could also be like weaponizing femininity yeah, yeah. I think that that's a big part of it too because yeah. like mm-hmm. You mentioned um, that story, Hard Candy. Was that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yes. Where uh, somebody like tri- a, a young girl tricks men, like creepy, gross men, into mm-hmm. situations where she can then take over and, and take control. I think yeah. that there's that idea of like somebody using their feminine wiles <laughs> to like get what they want, and then to to weaponize that as like now I have you under my thumb and I will squish you i will yeah. and i'm gonna mm-hmm. enjoy every second of it mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm i'm still trying to wrap my head around the entire monstrous feminine i think i'm so excited that all of them all these ideas just keep flooding out and then i'll be like uh we're not going to talk about stephen king for a minute let's talk <laughs> yeah. more about this yeah and that's all good there's a lot to discuss with the monstrous feminine it's a very meaty totally. topic so i feel you on thank that. god we're doing a podcast about it right yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure and it's just it's one of those things where i do feel like it can it can be seen as this kind of empowering thing and it can be something i mean i know for me personally a lot of the fictional characters that i most identify with not just in horror but in just media in general are a lot of times complicated difficult even quote unquote unlikable characters mm-hmm. that don't they're not they're not That's really funny. the way that women are supposed to be if they're female characters and that's what I like about them is because they're different and they kind of they don't follow those protocols that we've laid out for women. And I imagine it's similar with other marginalized people, queer people, with people of color. You might like and be attracted to the characters, even if they come from a place like they were created from a place of like trying to critique women or any other marginalized group that doesn't follow along with the rules it can still to you watching it feel like an empowering thing or it's like here's an example of a character that is like me in some way that is marginalized like me in some way and is rejecting the rules and not following the playbook of how we're supposed to be in order to be acceptable so and i think the monster femme just kind of monster feminine harkens back to that and there's a lot of great characters that i think would fit under the monster's feminine umbrella that are kind of just empowering and relatable to women or at least to me and I would imagine to maybe other women and maybe to queer people and maybe to a variety of other people that are marginalized because they are kind of reclaiming this power and they're like 
you know, here's a group of marginalized people that have been deprived of their agency. And in depictions of the monstrous feminine, it's like they kind of get some of that agency back. Like in Hard Candy, that character gets her agency back that's been taken not only from her, but from other girls her age that are sexualized and all this other stuff. She has that agency and she is using this as a way to take down predatory men. And so, yeah, and I watched Hard Candy um, shortly after I'd had a, a bad abusive experience with a male employer that was in his 50s and I was 16 and so to me it really spoke Mm. to me on that level and was really a cathartic comforting watch and I think I mean I think we see that with similar more recent movies like Promising Young Woman there's a lot of these sorts of movies that are kind of more um and books they're kind of more based around this um, idea of women reclaiming their power, even if it's by behaving very badly, or especially if it's by behaving very badly. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a sucker for that, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I I definitely feel like um, in in the monstrous femme, in the way that we're talking about it, and how these like marginalized people are able to like do things about it it's it's like the things that you wish you could like Mm, do you wish you could be able to like act on it in some way you wish there was something you could do and even though that's not like the reasonable solution it's a solution it's a strong solution it is the solution that may exist in like their universe and i i feel like it shows a lot of strength and that is like very appealing like you were talking yeah. about yeah and it goes Super back to well carrie played. yeah yeah for sure it goes back to carrie as an example because i think a lot of us have experienced being bullied being mistreated by our peers being kind of left out of the pack whatever so in some ways it's sort of like taken to an extreme obviously but like this revenge fantasy where you know she's publicly mortified and ridiculed and treated terribly by these people and then at the very end, she like harnesses these powers that she has and embraces them and wreaks some chaos. And, you know, it's not exactly good, but it's also as a fantasy kind of cathartic for people to read that have experienced similar things to kind of live through in a fantasy setting. The idea of, oh, wouldn't it be nice to, you know, get revenge on all these people that hurt me and that treated me so badly. So it's taken to its utmost extreme, but like it's there's something there where it is just cathartic. And I think that's one of the reasons for like the enduring popularity of works like Carrie is because we can all, I think regardless of whether you're a woman or not, I think probably a lot of people can relate to Carrie in some aspect or another. She doesn't feel, um, she doesn't feel like she is this inhuman beast or monster, but she contains aspects of the monsters but they come out really in retaliation in relation to the way she's been treated and i think that's kind of how we perceive ourselves in general most of us whether it's true or not that like maybe we all have a dark side but we really don't unleash it unless it's warranted unless somebody provokes us unless somebody hurts us then maybe that dark side might come out so i don't know there's just a lot of things like that it's a very very interesting nuanced topic but there's a lot to a lot to think about for sure I think I'm mentally prepared enough to talk about Stephen King. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, I can. I don't mind starting the Stephen King talk because I have a lot of um, thoughts myself. But if you want to start it, that's also good. What do you think? 
I hate this white man. <laughs> can't fucking stand him. Okay. Oh, let's get into it. Sit down, <laughs> grab some tea, let's talk and spill. So I have not read very much Stephen King because I have like i try i try very very hard to get into it because he is revered as one of the greats whenever you think of horror you think of like dean Koontz and stephen king mm-hmm. at least for our generation or possibly even the, ge- the generation before us right those are the people that we think of because they've written the most you've seen their books in like barnes and noble in chapters and in indigo in gr- fucking grocery stores for some reason like (laughs) grabbing a carton of milk and also it by stephen (laughs) king all right cool but every time i've tried i've only made it like maybe a quarter of the way into a book because i think that he has a lot of half-baked ideas i think that a lot of his characters are very I would also say like half baked, like they're, they represent such like base characteristics. And a lot of the times, especially the women in his books, Mm -hmm. despite uh, other than Carrie, of course, I mean, I haven't (laughs) read it, but it seems like there's some really good things to say about it uh, from what both of you have said. Mm -hmm. But when I was trying to read it, by Stephen King, I was just really taken aback by how one fucking anti-Semitic it was. <laughs> like there was so much like undue nastiness towards Jewish people in the first like 30 pages. <laughs> it's like, wait a goddamn minute, why are we talking about this? And I get because some like one of the characters is Jewish and his mother is Jewish. And that's why they talk about her. But, like, why are we talking about her from such an awful point of view? And, like, why is so much of her characterization coming from how much hate she receives for being a Jewish person? And it's just like, what the fuck? And I don't, like, he's so long-winded. Yeah. And a lot of his stories are meandering and lingering and there's just pages and pages and pages of descriptions that don't add anything to the story yeah (laughs) yeah I, I, i just i really don't think he should be as revered as he is because i think it puts a spotlight onto an author i mean he's done a lot of writing and there is something to be admirable about that but i think it's taking the spotlight away from other voices that should be heard more real Mm. yeah i definitely Mm. can agree that i think stephen king's characters are quite one-sided like, I've never really read the book, so this is coming from, like, a movie-watching standpoint where things are probably done up a bit differently than in the books and are definitely going to be a lot more fast-paced than the books, so I can't speak there. But I did watch In the Tall Grass, and what was that? What the <laughs> fuck was that? That was so Talk weird. Go off. Um, <laughs> what was it? it? It was, like, Children of the Corn meets, like alien rock cool like it was it was a stephen king movie for sure 
I don't like well, dislike Stephen King. <laughs> I, like there are, I like it. There are Stephen King movies that I enjoy, but I do think that it is not. Can you remind me? I feel like I've seen that, but I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the right one. Is that the one where the brother and the sister get lost? Yes. The... Yes, okay. in the grass. That is a weird. Yeah, and there's like mud men with like circle faces of grass, and they are the grass, and you are the grass, but also the yeah. rock. Yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs> um, like I'm trying to go for cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah. I really, there is no resolution. Like I notice that sometimes there is, like that's a kind of a repetitive thing in horror in general, like especially horror films. Is there is just a serious lack of resolution. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, I think it's interesting for me because I have read a lot, and I mean a lot, of Stephen King novels cover to cover. I was very into Stephen King as a child, which I think is true of a Ooh. lot of kids that are just kind of getting into horror. So from like the ages of like 10 to 13, I read a lot of Stephen King novels. And at the time, I thought, these are great. You know, I didn't really have taste at that point so not to say that to well like, you were a like, kid yeah it's not to say also that liking them means you don't have taste because like of course you can enjoy a Stephen King novel and have very good taste but the point is that to me I really thought that it was like this is as good as it gets and now that I'm older I'm like eh, maybe, maybe not right. so much but um I read a lot of his novels cover to cover so I feel like I'm kind of maybe the resident expert on the book side of Stephen King's work and I have a lot of mixed feelings myself and I'm also the resident Jew here. So it's interesting to me because when you said that, when you first mentioned to me that you felt like he was really anti-Semitic, it kind of a little bit took me aback because I was like, I didn't I didn't really get that. But I read it really? ages ago. I read it ages ago when I was very young. So it's possible I missed a lot of stuff that I would now pick up on. What I do know is that at the time, the kind of um, whole extended thing about, I believe... I can never remember his name because he's the one that dies, spoiler alert, but he's the one that dies first, <laughs> which is kind of anti-Semitic in and of itself. They kill the Jewish guy immediately of the the loser group, and then he doesn't yeah. get to be an adult that comes back with the others. But anyway, when they, like, I think it's when they catch up with him initially, and they, because Stephen King loves to bounce around and spend a lot of time with side characters that are of little import, he, mm. like, is in the head and the perspective of that character's wife as an adult so it's the jewish yes. i can't think of his name i am so sorry but i can't think of his name but that jewish character his wife who is jewish and it spends they spend a lot of time in the book on like you were saying kind of um the anti-semitism she's faced and i remember re thinking at the time that i related to a lot of it and finding it to be um i don't know it, it to me struck me as poignant and I was like, oh, I, I feel like I can, this is definitely something that I can understand. And that I remember, like, I, it was hard because it's a while ago, but I do remember, like, specifically she was feeling like, because uh, one of the other kids in the group, once they're an adult, becomes a horror writer. And she, and writes about monsters, speaking of monsters, and she, this Jewish character, was feeling like, what's the point of writing about these mythical monsters? Because she's faced so many actual monsters and know how, knows how evil people can be from the perspective of having been a Jewish woman, having faced anti-Semitism and wanting to like kind of get back at these people that had been um, 
that had been that had shown bigotry toward her she wants to like get back at them by living well and so like she talks about that and, like how you know every time she you know enjoys something nice in her life it feels like well you know i'm kind of i'm getting back at them but it's also not satisfying that's how i remember it, at least i could be off base but i remember finding that to be relatable and i liked it what i will say though mm. is that is also there is which is kind of an infamous stephen king moment that part of the story is where um, I believe what happens is that she hears something that makes her that's like triggering from her past or somebody from her past or makes her think of her past or makes her think of basically something anti-Semitic. And it seizes her with this sort of um, panic, fear, whatever. And he has to mention that her nipples go hard in the grocery store where she is. And I don't know if yeah. you remember this part. Okay. But that part I was like, no, what are you doing? what are you doing i have All experienced right. anti-semitic moments plenty and at no point have they affected my nipples one way or the other <laughs> and i don't know anybody who would say otherwise so like things like that he definitely has a weird fixation on women's breasts and i do think he writes a lot of times women in kind of a male view yeah. way where it's like very much it just feels, and also a lot of times the female characters, and like, and it's a good example because the writer of the horror books kind of feels like a stand-in for Stephen King. <laughs> He's literally a very successful horror novelist, so it feels like Stephen King is like, okay, this is his author insert. And he's given him, like, a beautiful wife or girlfriend or whatever that's, like, British and perfect and everything a man would want in a girl. And that felt to me like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. She felt very one-dimensional to me. But I, did, I don't totally remember. It was a while ago, so maybe I'm being unfair. But I do think there are a lot of problems with how he depicts women. Mm. And he has weird obsessions with boobs. And that's troubling. <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, he's, a, he's very flawed. And I say this as somebody who was a devoted fan. I also think his more, his more recent books not good i tried reading doctor sleep and i could not get through it i don't think the shining should have had a sequel hot take no sequel needed for the shining um but yeah so there's just and he does you know he wanders all over the map he takes forever his books are incredibly long there's tans that don't need to be there the mystical turtle the orgy amongst the kids why just why so like yeah there's yeah. a lot to criticize i think it's really interesting uh and eye-opening to hear from your perspective especially when i thought of those portions of it as being very like shockingly anti-semitic and like very abrasive and upsetting to read and then you as uh, a jewish person finding like comfort in it in the fact that it's like you feel seen and you feel represented right the, and i think that maybe having difficulty finding the words to describe it exactly but it was eye-opening to hear that perspective from you because i think that the shock of those scenes is maybe because i've never experienced those things before mm, yeah and there is also the argument of like should you be focusing this much on Jewish pain, especially as a non-Jewish writer himself? Right. So yeah, like, I, and I was just about to Google, like, is Stephen King yeah. Jewish? So I'm like, no, yeah, wait no. a minute. Because no, if he is, like, I'm a huge Maine. fucking asshole. No, he's a pretty <laughs> he's devoted Christian. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty devoted Christian because of, like, I think AA, because when he was uh, in recovery, uh, 
I believe that's yeah. the road he ended up taking. Um, and I think that kind of shows up in some of his work, as I recall. But um, but yeah, he is not Jewish, and I do think you can make like I think that your perspective was really interesting, and I do think you could critique that from a lot of different standpoints, including including like. These are the only Jewish characters in this book. Why are you focusing so much on them suffering? What bothers me more, because I did like at least the non-nipple parts of that <laughs> female character's story. Nipples I liked, aside. <laughs> yeah, nipples aside. I liked what, because it to me felt real and felt familiar and like I understood it. What bothered me was that he did the Jewish character, the Jewish boy that was part of the group seemed so inconsequential to him the fact that he was like never really a, a standout character and then he just dies immediately before the others reunite he dies and so he's not part of the grown-ups reuniting and it like that to me felt that, that bothered me because it's like god you're one jewish character and you're gonna immediately have him be the one that dies because there's a, a group of like plenty of regular straight white guys and then one girl one black character one jewish character and you have the jewish character one of the only marginalized people in this group be the one that dies and it's really? like yeah i'm not you surprised kinda, yeah. but i'm just gonna have to like flip the coin to see which token dies first <laughs> yeah oh my which god sucks yeah yeah i did that really did bother me so i mean i I don't know. I think that I think Stephen King, I have been a defender of his in the past, but now that I've gotten older, I'm like, I don't know. I have very mixed feelings about him. Ultimately, I think that he and also I think that like it's interesting when you look at something like The Shining, the film, because when I was younger and read the book, I thought that I preferred the book. And now that I'm older, I definitely prefer the film because the film, I think, is really saying things that the book isn't. And it doesn't have all the filler that the book does. And it's like, it's so like, so amazingly done because of course it's Kubrick versus Stephen King. And like, not to compare the two, not to compare the two, but if I were to compare the two, let's be honest, like Kubrick to me, total perfection. Everybody thinks this is not just to me. He total perfectionist really, really was obsessed with turning out like the best possible product. And then Stephen King, on the other hand, I don't know how I would describe his creative process, but I would say messy. And I would say um, very long and not super good at editing himself and things like that. So the book is like, the book is good. It's, I think it's worth reading for people that are into horror. But I me mean, now as I'm older, I realize that the movie is like very masterful and is making so many great points in the most subtle ways a lot of the time and leaves things open to interpretation, but kind of also points you in the right direction in these, these great ways. And then the book, I feel like is more all over the map and there is this really um interesting quote from stephen king that i remember i'm gonna say ages ago um about how the um at the end of the shining the book and the end of the shine the movie is first of all have you guys have, have either of you or both of you read the book the shining i have not i haven't read the book no okay have you either or both of you seen the movie <laughs> i've seen I'm the movie scared. <laughs> that's understandable yeah but that's okay real. well um i think this story's still this will this is an anecdote will still be understandable so basically in the book how the book ends spoiler alert is that the hotel burns down there's like mm. I, I i read it when i was so young so i don't remember there's like something with the incinerator or something so it burns down in the movie it freezes over 
And Stephen King had said that he had a conversation one day with Stanley Kubrick about hell. And Stanley Kubrick didn't believe in hell. And Stephen King does. And he goes, that's why in, the, in my book, it burns down, but in the movie, it freezes over. And to me, that's really interesting. And I think that's one of the strengths of the movie is that it's not, not, it's not really an allegory for like hell. It's an allegory for something different. It's an allegory, I think, that's like, like looking at hell, but looking at how people are hell and how people mm-hmm. keep repeating the sins of the past and keep making the same mistakes over and over. And specifically, the movie is very much an interrogation, in my opinion, of cishet white men. I mean, they have the very pointed line about white man's burden. And it's about white men kind of repeating patterns of violence over and over again and not learning from their mistakes and how these things keep happening because they keep sort of pretending that these things didn't happen, not acknowledging what they've done wrong and hurting the women, the children and the marginalized people in their lives or just outside their lives. And it's a whole thing. I have a lot, a very long take on it that I will not go into because it's a doozy. But anyway, the point is, I think that is such a more interesting story then this is just an allegory for like hell the hotel is hell and then it burns down the end because hell like that's just if if that was what Stephen King was going for maybe I'm you know selling I'm sure and that's not exactly what he was saying but I just think the movie really is much more about um history repeating itself and and this history repeating itself specifically the way cishet white dudes conduct themselves and the way that they hurt marginalized people around them and to me that's just like way better message than the the novel so anyway that's my long-winded take on that but yeah you know yeah absolutely i think just like kind of soaking myself in as much horror uh writing as possible i i don't know i kind of look to the greats and it's just like what is so great about them other than like notoriety or the mm. um the amount of writing that they've done cuz i feel mm-hmm. like i i have read some of stephen king's short stories and i actually did enjoy some of those um mm. i think that there's one about a person getting stranded on an island and then auto cannibalizing the at the end mm-hmm. um And that was gripping. It was so good. The longer work's not so great, I think, just because of all the fluff and everything that that you were discussing. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I I just think that there's there's so many other amazing authors out there and so many other fantastic stories. And not all of his ideas are bad I, I would actually say most of his story ideas are are good i just don't like the style or how they are written or how they're explored i think it comes down to taste but also if i'm gonna be 100 percent honest if somebody says like my number one favorite horror author is stephen king my first knee-jerk reaction would, would be hey have you thought about reading like anybody else (laughs) do you want some suggestions (laughs) i definitely think that stephen king is like he has some good ideas and i think if he spent more time exploring creative options instead of self-interest the main character and redoing the stories about him being a Mm self-insert over and over again I think that would be 
pretty interesting. Like, I think they're like to give credit to in the tall grass. It was weird, but like, yeah, it's an idea. <laughs> like, it's a yeah. it's a unique idea. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't have thought about it. Yeah. So, like, they're there. You can do yeah. something with them. Just explore more. And I, I think you're completely right. I think there's way more artists and authors that deserve credit that just aren't yeah. getting I, it. I, I think it's also because the same knee-jerk so reaction I, I would have if somebody said, my favorite movies ever are like the Marvel movies. Oh, it's yeah. like, Have you seen like any other movie? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I would have such a... I would really be having to contain my rage. <laughs> like that, that. That's really up there for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel that. With kind of how I feel about it. Maybe that's the best way I can describe it is yeah. Yeah. Stephen King is like Marvel to me. <laughs> I, it's also interesting because uh, to the point about the self-insert characters, it is interesting to think about like Misery, um, The Shining, and It. All three of those books alone have such glaringly self-insert characters. <laughs> and it's kind of amazing <laughs> that he's that shameless. <laughs> like I can't imagine putting that a shameless self-insert character into one book, let alone several. Like and have it be really prominent. Like that's kind of I mean, I almost kind of respect him for it because it's so ballsy. <laughs> but it's also like, okay, write some write about somebody else that's a little different to you for, for fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> Have either or both of you seen American Horror Story? Yeah. Okay. I honestly haven't seen a lot of really, it. Really, Ophelia? Um, that's so surprising from what yeah. I know of you. That's interesting. It's, it's, I know. It was just something. Okay. I like don't, didn't watch a lot of shows that my parents didn't watch mm -hmm. growing up. Solid. And that was just not one of the shows that they enjoyed. It was a little too much for them. I think with American Horror Story, I liked it quite a bit at the beginning. And then as the seasons went on, I began to like it less and less. And yeah. I full on rage quitted. Uh, <laughs> rage quit? Quitted? <laughs> One of them where I'm like, you know what? Remove this from the DVR. <laughs> no more of this. Real. I think, I think that is like the the consensus for a lot of people is that it started yeah. out really good and then as it went on it was just really repetitive and kind of the same thing over yeah. and over again and it and also it yeah it just became it just feeling. moved away so much i love camp but what bothered me is it didn't start off as just pure camp it started off much more as like actual horror and then right. as it kept going, it became yeah. basically just 100% camp. And I was like, I don't mind. Like, the first season had some elements of camp, which I really enjoyed because it was mostly, like, full-on horror. But then it would have moments of, like, funny little campy moments. And that was great. Um, but the first season's my favorite, to the record. I know a lot of people love the second season. I like the second season, but I think it had way too much going on is the problem. Like, they didn't need to have aliens in the second season. I'm sorry. Like, it's so many subplots going. And then it's like, let's have aliens, too. It's like, no, just don't. And that's one of okay. my problems. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I, I was just looking up the seasons so then we could actually talk about okay. them. So then, so then nobody's left out. I thought um, you were, yeah, getting ready to be like, I have a defense of the aliens. <laughs> and I was like, let me hear. Oh, I mean, 
I I do like a little alien situation. Yeah, but the Every second season, it was just so it had so much going on the second season, and they felt so out of place. That was my issue with them. I haven't rewatched in a bit, so maybe if I were to watch it now, I'd be like, oh, it, it doesn't. It's not as bad as I thought. But at the time, oh, no, I was, it it is ridiculous, but it's good TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, do you have a favorite season? Okay. Um. I would say, I mean, Murder House season one is yeah. very, very good. Yeah. I, oh my God, it was released in 2011. I know. Fuck, I'm old. Yeah, me too. God. <laughs> um, and then I have to be honest, I dropped it. Uh, I, ra- I rage quit a hotel, which was season mm, five. That and was I guess me now too. they're up to season 12. Yeah, yeah they're still going the next season yeah. is called delicate with kim <laughs> kardashian the next wait season. what yes oh my god <laughs> i'm so sorry to be the one to tell you that but yeah okay um i'm gonna need one of those podcast breakies i gotta go lay down and think about this for a minute <laughs> are you serious yes um, and they are really hyping it up that kim kardashian is yeah. in it because we all know what we tune in for when we watch american horror story it is the kardashians <laughs> so they have yeah been hyping it's, them up. it's be kim, like oh my god i can't believe this horrific thing has happened <laughs> that's so accurate that is like <laughs> scary yeah like yeah. <laughs> i feel so yeah, betrayed yeah, I murder. <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah I, ugh, I it's a weird choice but that's so funny because i also rage quit the season of hotel and what bothered me is i think haunted hotels there's so much room there for good stuff and i was so disappointed because i was like ready i was like yes a season about a creepy hotel let's go and then I started watching. I was like, "Oh no! Like, where, where's the scary stuff? It was all just over the top, ridiculous camp. And like, camp to a place. The thing is also like, I have a lot of strong opinions on Ryan Murphy, and I think he, I think he, I don't know. His version of camp is not the best version of camp. Let's say I don't know. It's like he loves camp, but he doesn't fully understand it. And it's a straight man's version of camp." Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And it's just yeah. like, I don't know. I have, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kind of a Ryan Murphy defender, but also kind of not because, like, I don't know, he has so much problematic stuff in his work. And a lot of it's also just not good. But, like, I think when he's good, he's capable of being really good. Like, I think the first The American Horror Story is really good. I am a bit of a Glee defender. Come at me if you want. <laughs> but I think the first couple scenes of Glee are good, although he does shamelessly rip off um, Election the point where it's like almost egregious with glee and it does bother me <laughs> but if you can like set aside the fact that he's shamelessly ripping off election i think the first few seasons of glee are at the very least entertaining even if they are flawed um and so i don't know but yeah american horror story i have feelings about it and they're complicated and it's like i don't know it's like an ex that i still have love for but i'm also like what happened to you <laughs> you know <laughs> it's an ex that you like facebook stock <laughs> Yeah. yeah real yeah um, so wait what sorry uh I, I never answered the question of what was my favorite but i'm also curious what your favorite was i mean i did really enjoy um the 
the first season quite a bit. And then I also really liked Freak Show just because that's when it got stupid. And (laughs) when I was like, like I could perfectly define it as stupid horror Mm -hmm. um, instead of campy horror. It got really dumb. Yeah. And when I was when I was younger, I had a very big obsession with uh, freak shows and I did a lot of deep wiki dives into freak shows because I thought it was fascinating how mm-hmm. people could just be so um exploitative exploitative yeah. exploitative exploitative towards... yeah thank you <laughs> you know I am an English major but <laughs> it's a it's um, a weird word honestly and I think the first season is the one that comes together the best. Like it has, it's it's the least messy, even though it's still messy because it's Ryan Murphy. But it's the least, like it has, it has all the kind of moving parts. Like they come together, they work. I think the characters are interesting. I'm a big fan of Haunted House stuff, so I'm a sucker for that. I like all the history that they give the house and all the weird different characters that populate it. So I think that season is the best on a fully just like artistic objective merit. I know a lot of people say season two Asylum is the best. I refute that because of the aliens and because of things that like are related to that. Where basically it's like season two just to me had way too much going on. It was all over the map. Season one like was able to keep it focused in a way that season two I don't think was. But there were moments of season two that I really like and I do think it is still a good season of TV. And then after that every other season was like just like I was like what just happened to this show I did enjoy freak show though also because it was really pretty to look at <laughs> I know that's a superficial thing but like I love the visuals I think that it was really stylized in a cool interesting way and I mean it had Jessica Lang singing life on Mars and like I can't be mad at that and even though it was completely yeah. out of the time period that almost made it better and also having Zara Paulson sing criminal like all these songs that are like fairly modern during a time period before they came out like I just love like the weird stupidness of that stuff so I did enjoy Freak Show but like Evan I I was not a fan of um I wanted to be because I really loved the idea of them doing a witch season and I loved it was set in New Orleans, right? I love the idea that it was set in New Orleans, and I love the whole thing. But then I watched it, and I was like, oh, I think I'm digging this that much. So for me, it's mostly just the first season. And then I like the second season, but I have issues with it. And then after that, I have problems with every other season to varying degrees that I've seen. A lot of them I have not seen. The first season, I think, is worth watching at least because it is – that's the one that I would say is, like, I can say is good and recommend to people without, like, having to give a big caveat. Oh, and that's the other thing I hated about the second season. Okay, I – focused on the aliens which was the wrong part to focus on i hated that they depicted Anne frank for no reason the second season okay i don't remember that that is what What? i want to say yeah Anne frank Anne frank yeah and it's just there yeah i'm pretty sure it's in the second season because that yeah i'm trying to think how it comes up in the second i'm frantically scrolling yeah, it's really, or is that the first season? Oh God, I hope it's not the first season. I might be wrong, and I might be. It might be the first season, which I just finished praising. I don't know because those seasons kind of I'm conflated a little bit because I watched them around the same time. Um, but they did a really offensive portrayal of Anne Frank. Um, they had her be alive. Apparently, she survived. Who knew? Ryan Murphy had to be the one to tell us. And they have her be alive and an adult and um. It's not good. 
they like do this weird thing where they're like trying to fake you out of like this is just a woman that thinks she's Anne Frank but then at the end they reveal no she's actually Anne Frank and it's like what Anne Frank and also like this is the thing that bothers me about American Story and Ryan Murphy in general is like exploitative is a very good word for it because he takes so many real people and real tragedies including another example of the Black Dahlia and Mm -hmm. he makes them into cartoons at his whim to suit his little stories and it's like just stop just don't include these women that were horribly murdered or horribly mistreated or had a lot of complex mental health issues like valerie solanas and put them into your shoehorn them awkwardly into your work they don't even belong there you could easily do without them why are they here that's one of the things that really bothers me i'm gonna look up okay American horror story and frank Let's see. <laughs> yes, I was correct. Season it two. is season two. And the oh. episode is literally called I Am Anne Frank. <laughs> they really want you to know. Part two. They really want you to know that this is an Anne Frank episode. Yeah, I think because she ends up in the asylum, which is also it's just so offensive. They have her in the asylum and they say, oh, she's just claiming to be Anne Frank. She's not really. But then they reveal, no, she actually is Anne Frank. And it's like, what? Why I mean, did you do this? <laughs> Like, isn't there also like a whole thing in the asylum where like the doctor's actually like a Nazi? Yeah, and I think that's how it connects to it. But like, yeah. you don't need to have Anne Frank involved in order to have him be a Nazi. Is the thing? Like, why? Yeah, I think that there is also quite a few scenes of um, like the the main character in that story is a uh, is a lesbian reporter yeah and she gets put into the asylum to uh basically zap the gay away right um that was pretty tough to watch uh yeah because i was quite young when well <laughs> quite young when this was all coming out so like early teens yeah. and um like that was kind of when i was discovering my own sexuality and i was mm-hmm. like oh god <laughs> oh no uh it, it was just it was very very shocking and yeah. uh intense to watch as a young queer uh, yeah. finding my own bearings um yeah speaking of real life horror stories i did want to ask the two of you about any weird or creepy or potentially supernatural things you've experienced so ophelia let's start with you any real life scary stories you feel like sharing i have a couple i there's like one that i'm like okay i'm not sure if this is like too real you know no such thing. go for it um. <laughs> we're all here so okay I, I want there to be like dramatic music added in the background of this okay, okay. come on director <laughs> So I was at my grandma's house and it was Christmas night. It was a snowy Christmas. I was a teenager and in my grandma's backyard, there is a long grass like yard and then a huge set of very tall trees like evergreens and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so like you could not see the corner of her backyard. It was like fully dark. Like there were trees, there was uh, like a shed, like it was dark. You couldn't see back there. Um, and so I'm on the porch or like the the back porch area and I am like sitting outside by myself and 
I start singing because I'm like, oh, I'm bored of shit. I don't want to be here. Like, this is fucking boring. I want to go home. So I'm like singing to myself outside. And then I hear something crumple from in the distance, in the corner of my grandparents' backyard. And I make a joke. I'm just like, oh, oh my gosh. You're like interrupting my performance. That's so rude. And so I start singing again, and then I hear it again. And I stop. And then I wait, and then I slowly start to hear a more steady set of footprints. <gasps> or uh, footsteps going kind of like, just in the snow, crunching oh. towards me slowly. And I, I can't tell if I see a figure or not, but I like stand up. They stop. I run inside and I hear someone running towards me as I lock the door and go to return to my family. Mm, that's spooky. And my parents don't believe you, me. Like, go. I mean, it, it would be very much a horror protagonist to go outside and check if there's if there's footprints <laughs> in the snow. But did you go check? No, oh my god. <laughs> I mean that's 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 why you're able to I'm be smart here I'm sorry. today to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Ophelia <laughs> is a final girl. Ophelia is gonna make it to the end of the movie. Oh my god. And okay. they're not funny. gonna get killed. Is, you know what's funny is I took like one of those like fucking yes! quiz quizzes that my friend sent me and it was like who would you be like as a horror character and it was like the final girl <laughs> yeah. and I'm like yes, okay, yes. I was just yeah. like to ask would you consider yourself to be first girl the killer like one of the people in the middle or final girl <laughs> I'm so final girl I'm sorry but I am I, yeah you are even the fact that you like <laughs> even the fact that you were like so polite and didn't want to interrupt us because like the final girl like is usually like is gains confidence over the course of the movie, but also is like nice because you have to like her and root for her. So that's like so final girl is like, I don't want to be rude to anybody and like gain confidence and eventually toward the end we'll just be like, I'll interrupt any motherfucker, yes. but also I'm still likable. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> How do you identify Lilith? Um, it's a good question. I would say, I don't even know if this is a, a horror movie archetype, but I would say I'm like the like spooky girl next door that you think has to do with the murder or whatever the creepy stuff is like is like she's like the red herring character where you're like okay she has something to do with it and then at the end they reveal like toward the end they reveal like no she's just a weirdo like i would be that character. you're like a red herring oh like tone setter like you're yeah. in the beginning of the movie like yes, somebody's moving exactly. into the house and then like yeah. you come out next door and you're like have you salted your home there's many evil <laughs> things within and you're like what <laughs> Huh? Yeah, I see. like the creepy old, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like cryptic, always in right. morning clothes. You know, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I just I... perhaps a flannel. Yeah, and I speak only in foreboding sentences. Yes, <laughs> <And> just, <laughs> yeah. that's, that would totally be me. What about you, Mecky? I identify as first girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, real. I know That's I would real. be that dumb bitch in the shower, like <laughs> no killer's going to get me. <laughs> and yeah. then I get got. Or yeah. I'm also extremely loud. 
<laughs> and I have a really loud laugh. <laughs> and when I get okay. scared, like genuinely scared, I one adopt my uh, my hometown accent from <laughs> Blaine, Minnesota, <laughs> and so I become like a little oh, Minnesotan person, and I laugh really hard when I'm scared, and I got a cackle. If I'm having a good time, you can find me at the other end of the party. You can locate me, echolocate me by my laughter. So I feel like I would be found first. And also, at my cafe, we've discussed this and everyone voted me first, girl. Because um, (laughs) whenever some creepy person is, like, knocked on our door after closing... I'm always the one that goes out like with a cup of coffee, like, here, do you need this? <laughs> Let me unlock the door for <laughs> you. Because I try to be kind. But that's so <laughs> yeah. But also yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm fat and I have fibromyalgia no. and I can't fucking run. <laughs> okay. Literally me too. No. I you would home alone that shit, no, though, dude. Ophelia. Like, you would. <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. No, literally, we were talking about, like, children being in horror, and I, like, remember being a kid and watching horror movies and being like, I could do that. Yeah. I could survive that. You're yeah. like, oh, so like, this, this is, is what this is I a would coming do. of age story. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Ophelia also Twilight. That's how I feel about Twilight. (laughs) Ophelia also gives off the vibe of like Liam Neeson. I have a very particular set of skills thing where like has more skills than either of us are aware of because they're humble and they're not gonna brag to us about (laughs) their skill set. But like even just like with the I may have a bow and arrow. (laughs) No, like literally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you just yeah, you seem like you have a whole host of skills we know nothing about, and we would be like, "What? You know how to do that with here?" (laughs) So I I think that totally fits. And you, Mickey, like you were right away asking Ophelia, like, did you go out to check the footprint? So like, yeah, if you were in a horror movie, you would be because you know I would be the one to be like, "That's scary. Let's go check." Yeah, you would be. Oh my gosh. Okay, but like, I'm that person in a supernatural situation because I feel comfortable with like, you know, spooky Mm. stuff in the spiritual sense. But when it's like real ass people, yeah. Yeah. No! Absolutely not. Here's a question for everybody Where do we collectively and individually stand on ghosts? I fully believe in ghosts. Like that's a part of my spiritual practice. Honestly, we were talking about like supernatural and Buzzfeed unsolved there. And like, I have mixed thoughts about like ghost hunter shows in general. Like I know that like a lot of the times people are like that are spiritual are like, they find them funny and fun and charming. And that's (laughs) like cool for them. But I honestly feel like it's really weird. Cause like if I was a fucking ghost and these loud ass boys were like, "Hey, do you want to fight?" Also, I don't think you're real. Like, yeah. that would piss me off. Yeah. I'd be so annoyed. And and like you said, those are real people that like really pass yeah. tragically. Yeah, and like that's like so disrespectful. Like, would you want to be greeted like that yeah. if if that happened to you? Yeah, that's a good like, point. I, I just. I just feel like it would be really annoying. But the, I think Ryan and Shane, those boys, are very funny and cute. Yeah. And they're, they're good, good boys, but I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I I can understand that. It's hard because, like, it's entertaining to watch, but it is yeah. one of those things where it's like, 
is this disrespectful to the dead especially when they go to certain places where it's like has a very charged history and i don't know I, it's yeah i have mixed feelings i haven't really watched much of their watcher content yet so i'm not sure if their ghost hunting techniques or tactics have changed at all um in recent times but i do know with the buzzfeed and solo episodes there are definitely some that i'm like uh, i don't know about that <laughs> i don't know about that behavior and i don't yeah. know about their approach to true crime and stuff uh what about you mickey are you a believer yes and no I I'm a little bit mixed on it because I have had some like ghostly experiences, but it's always mm-hmm. come from when I've been thinking about ghosts and getting scared thinking about ghosts. And so I, I like to imagine that maybe ghosts aren't literally a person roaming and they're fully aware and like just as they were in their in their life when they were alive. I don't know if I believe in that, but I definitely believe in energies of some sort. There have been very freaky things that have happened that I cannot explain. And I've heard a lot of stories Mm. and experienced a lot of things personally, but I don't know if I've ever like been in contact with a ghost where I can say like, for sure, I just spoke with like my, my dead mom or something. And so I don't know, but also I do feel like like my mom passed away 12 years ago and so I associate things like ladybugs and ivy and things with her. and whenever I see a ladybug it's usually when I'm having a difficult time and I need like that maternal pick me up almost. And so mm. I don't know, like it's it's very yes and no for me. Yeah. I feel I feel similarly um, where I've had experiences and I'm also somebody that really would like to believe because I think the idea of ghosts is fascinating. Um, I developed a paralyzing fear of death at the age of seven because Jewish. So I was very aware of my own mortality and I was very anxious about it. And it would have, at that point, I really liked, I'd already been into ghosts and paranormal stuff, but I got more into it. And I think it was because I really liked the idea of there being something after death. Because at that age, I just became convinced there wasn't. And like, it was like, I just, I, I couldn't get myself to believe in any kind of afterlife. Um, so I was really interested in the idea of ghosts. I still am. I don't really know if I, I don't feel like I could really say that I'm a believer in ghosts, but I am a fan of ghosts. Like I will gladly listen to people tell me their, their true, weird, possibly paranormal encounters. I like, I'm not somebody that's going to be judgmental and be like, I am a hardcore skeptic. Like I'm somebody that like wants to believe. I'm just like waiting for an experience that pushes me that way, you know, because it just, I like, I really like the idea. I don't know. And I, I do also think that there's something very interesting about ghosts in a, on a figurative level where it's not like a totally literal thing, but just kind of, as you were saying, kind of like a sort of more of a, an abstraction and also just like seeing things that bring you comfort, like the ladybugs, even if that's not a paranormal thing, like that's still like beautiful and that's nice that it brought you comfort. So like, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that people can be kind of assholes about when they don't believe in it. And I'm not one of those people. But I also am like, I'm just such a, uh innate natural skeptic that it's hard for me to believe in like anything that's not, you know, super duper proven. So that's that's where I'm at. But I do love ghost stories. I love them. I have a few of my own. I did hint before we got to this recording that one of my 
landlords from the past was a vampire, I believe. (laughs) I found her on Craigslist. (laughs) Oh, of course. (laughs) Because I am first girl. (laughs) Yeah. And the rent was like $350 or $400 a month. Like a 600 square foot room. And I'm like, yeah. It's fucking awesome. (laughs) And so I moved in and this very kind old woman her name is Agnes. She um, was extremely odd and made me feel increasingly unsafe the longer I was there. I I lived with her for maybe six or seven months. And uh, when I first moved in, the first thing I noticed is that there were no mirrors in the house. Oh. And... Uh, like, there were places where there once was mirrors, because you could see, like, the hookups for them, but there were no mirrors, and she seemed kind of upset when I brought one into the home. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's, like, a cultural difference or something, because I was 19, and uh, she was originally from uh, from China, and changed her name from Lee to Agnes, and she told me it's because it's a very powerful name. I'm like, work feminist (laughs) come on agnes and so like i chalked up a lot of these things to like maybe it's cultural differences because i'm like Mm -hmm. a white boy from washington (laughs) and i don't want to step on any toes. um there was no food in the house at all there was one bottle of soy sauce and that was it and i was like agnes what do you eat and she's like oh you know i'm like i don't there's nothing here (laughs) um she I never saw her outside during the day, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and uh, sometimes she'd be like, do you want to go gro- grocery shopping together? Because you might need some food. And I'm like, I do, because there's nothing here. <laughs> and she would always wait until after the set to go. And I, and I would ask why. And she's like, it's just safer to drive at night. And I'm like, I'm not going to question it. Um, <laughs> I never saw her eat anything, but she would often cook things and then serve the food to me and sit with me and just drink hot water while I ate. She was dating the man across the street who I never saw. And when I asked the neighbors, (laughs) no, but like his lights were on and there was a car in front of the house, but I never saw him (laughs) ever in my entire sense of living there. I asked the neighbors like, so tell me about like the guy next door. I think his name was like Rick or something. And they're like, oh yeah, his um, wife died of like mysterious causes. And I'm like, what? No. no. What do you mean? And she would like go over there every single night and carry over this big bag with her. And I'm like, what is that? And she's like, oh, I'm just going to go do laundry. Like, oh, okay. Uh, And then one time she left the big bag in the garage, like before she was going to go over. She's like, oh, I'll just set this down. And then I have to grab something from upstairs. I'm like, okay, work. I went to the garage and it was just a giant bag full of uh, half-used rolls of duct tape. No idea why. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> and oh my God. but she said it was laundry or was it yeah. a different bag? Uh, it was the same bag. So oh I think that Rick was like <laughs> taped up over there and she was feeding on him every night. That was my oh idea. My you know what? Oh like, my there's God. more! Can you? I lived there for oh seven God. months! Oh my god. Can you believe it? Okay, one night I got up in the middle of the night to go use the restroom, as one does. And I it was dark, and 
as I was walking out into the hallway, I bumped into something and it was Agnes. And I like fell back and shrieked. And she's like, don't scream like that. And I'm like, you scared me. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you? It's two in the morning. It's dark. Why are you just standing outside my door? And she's like, I just like to stand and think. What? Like, what? <laughs> About what? <laughs> and she wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, that's fine. That's okay. Um, also, uh, one time she asked, by the way, is it okay if I go into uh, your room to use the exercise equipment? I'm like, yeah, that's cool, I guess. That's fine. And she's like, okay, because I've done that for a couple of nights and I just wanted to make sure it was okay. Uh... I'm like, wait. I've been, like, <laughs> asleep in my bed. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what? Oh, you've been on my bicycle? <laughs> you've been on my... While you were And then... Room. Okay. Oh, my God. And this is when I was like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't live here anymore. Was when... <laughs> was yeah. when she was like, Mickey, can you help me um, with a recipe for something? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she said, so I'm making this for a little potluck at, at work. Um, and also, I don't know what she did for a living. She, I have no idea. <laughs> oh but my. she was like, yeah, it's like, um, like a pork shoulder or, or pork butt or something. It's like about this big. And she was gesturing with her hands. I'm like, do you, do you have it? She's like, oh, it's over at Rick's house. I'm like, do you want to go get it? Because then I can just help you cook it here. I, I really wouldn't mind. And she said, no, 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 no. I just need, like, how long to cook it for. And I'm like, well, it really depends on what kind of cut of meat it is and, like, how big it is. And she said, it's about, like, the size of a baby's head. And I'm like, that's not a good way to measure something. <laughs> and... I was talking about, like, seasonings, and she's like, no, 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 no. You don't need seasonings for meat. There's seasoning inside. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And she said, uh, you know, when you cut your thumb, lick that. That's the seasoning. I'm like, are you telling me to drink my blood right now? <laughs> oh, and then no. It was getting oh, close I to see. Halloween when I was going to be moving out. And I'm like, Agnes, are you going to be um, a vampire for Halloween? And she, she said, no, I don't celebrate Halloween. We are turning the lights off and we are not putting out candy. And I'm like, oh. it was just wow. a question. Okay. Um, and at the okay. end of October, I did move out. And uh, she like meticulously picked out all the garbage I had thrown away into her garbage bin and handed it to me and said, this is yours. And I was like, oh, work. okay, <laughs> thank you. I'm so Ew. scared right now. Oh my god. <laughs> um, the respect I have. Uh, yeah, I can't tell if I should be freaked out by this person or if I should be like low key admiring. <laughs> Agnes was right. Really scary, yeah. but it was extremely cheap <laughs> rent. So, would I do yeah. it again? Possibly. <laughs> and see that's the monstrous feminine right there for you it's like scary but also like right. kind of low-key empowering and you're like you know <laughs> agnes was a strong woman she did give me like a lot of girl pep talks she's like burn your bra <laughs> yes. live your life oh and i was agnes. like okay agnes yeah. work and feed on the blood of the living <laughs> wait what was that last part yeah. <laughs> Oh, nothing. I'm just gonna go go see Rick with my bag of duct tape. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Yeah, the duct tape. 
I the duct tape is going to haunt me. I'm going to be wondering about that. <laughs> I never saw Rick. I never saw anybody. You never went over there to like ring his doorbell. I did, and I and like I was talking to Agnes, and I'm like, you should invite Rick over for dinner sometime. I can cook, and she's like, um, no, you don't need to meet Rick. And I was like. Oh, you were right. I don't need to. Thank you. I will go back to my room. Yeah. Thank you. I am moving you. on. You are definitely first girl. You went over, yeah. tried to see Rick. You asked to meet Rick. That's I would have been like, I want to stay away from all of these people and their duct tape and everything. Just hide in my I don't room know. if I can. I no, that's been... literally why I asked if yeah. you would, like, I also <laughs> caught her talking to a painting a couple of times. Oh my god. Oh, like, like asking for advice. And I was like, <laughs> "What? who are you talking to? And she's like, oh, um, my dog statue. I like to pretend it's real. I'm like, the dog statue <laughs> isn't in this room. And she's like, so? <laughs> Honestly, the more I hear, the more I'm like low key relating to this person too. It's like, I feel like this would be me if I was just a no. little bit stranger, just like, turning off really? slightly stranger. This would be you. He's killing it. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's yeah. my spooky yeah. story about my that's vampire a really landlord. Good. <laughs> just a little more chaos. Thank that is you. Yeah, no, that is a fantastic yeah, story. Better I'm than I was even expecting. Oh my god, I love that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get duct taped. Yeah. I had one possibly ghostly one, but I'm going to be honest, it is going to pale very much in comparison <laughs> to the story we have just heard. It is not going to be on the same level. When I was about like five years old, um, I had this friend over who... I had a very contentious relationship with and we were arguing and my mom went out to walk um, our dog just around the neighborhood and my friend and I were like not speaking. We had that kind of relationship where we would like get into a spat and then not speak even when we were on a play date. So we were on a play date but we were not speaking at the moment because we had some kind of argument. My friend to my knowledge was in the hallway. I was in the living room right next to the hallway. And so um, I was, my mom was outside with the dog walking around the hood. These are all the key points you're going to need to know. And so anyway, um, I was trying to just like distract myself and do something else to like show the friend. I don't need to talk to you. I can entertain myself. Like if you were going to, you know, be, <laughs> I don't know. I was five. But anyway, so, but my friend who kind of liked to get under my skin she started humming in the hallway and so i was like of course she's humming in the hallway to try to like get my attention or to annoy me and i was like i'm just gonna ignore it i'm not gonna pretend like i'm not hearing it and it just kept persisting getting louder and then it finally got to the point where i was like wanting to actually just say to her can you knock it off because it was really bothering me and around that same time i look out the window and i see my mom the dog way far away down or up the street or whatever and my friend, and what? I realized my friend went, yeah, my oh. friend went out with my mom and the dog. She had not been in the house that whole time. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. 
That's so scary. And it has just petrified me at five years old. I remember like the sinking. What did you do? Really nothing. I remember the sinking. Nothing. So I had like the sinking feeling in my stomach of like, oh no. And this like extreme terror, like just like where you like freeze. And I was like, what? So then I think my solution was just like to go and like hang out on the couch and like wait it out. And then after the sound had subsided, I crept out into the hall and nothing was there, of course, and no one was there. And then I think I went outside and like tried to get with my mom and the dog and my friend. I don't want to be in the house by myself. But basically, I did not discover anything. <laughs> but I was very, Damn. I didn't know what to do because I had to go through the hallway to get out of the house. So it was like, it wasn't a thing where I could oh, avoid no. that creepy hallway. Like if I wanted to leave to go to my mom, I was going to have to go through the hallway where I heard the humming. So I waited and it had stopped. And then I went out and there's just, it, it was very weird. It was a really strange one that I just still don't have an explanation for. And I just remember so clearly, like it's, the fear that I felt in that moment was like just. It ugh. sounded like a little girl humming well that's the thing i don't know i thought it was because i thought it was my friend so yeah i thought it was a viral but i don't know if it's just because i that was the person i thought was in the house so i assumed i don't like i don't know if it actually sounded like her or if it might have sounded like an adult woman or just like in you know humming is one of those things that i think is also kind of hard to tell because it's like not like singing you're not using words so like it could be an older woman or it could be a younger woman or it could be a girl and it could sound similar so anyway, on that note, let's circle back around to Halloween. Any thoughts? Any plans? Are you going to be going somewhere in costume? I really wish that we could normalize adult trick-or-treating. Because oh, I would like to go yeah. trick-or-treating this year. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. But sadly, gosh. that's not the world we live in. So I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm thinking I'm either going to dress up as Jessica Rabbit or Anastasia from the 1997 So, <laughs> redheads. <That's> just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Anyway, uh, how about you, Mickey? What are your... Are you going to dress up? Are you going to do anything fun? So I always have the most difficult time coming up with a costume, which is frustrating. And uh, my my good pal from the cafe last year, he's like, okay, 24-hour notice, Halloween party. I guess not really 24-hour notice, but he's like, I'm having a Halloween party, 24-hour notice. Um, <laughs> wow. Just come with whatever costume you can make from closet that's the theme tonight and it's like all right <laughs> and so my partner mars and i dressed up as uh morticia and gomez adam and i was gomez and uh i've never felt more Ooh. gender than with a, l- a little penciled in mustache and wow uh, yeah. we, took, <laughs> we took one of my uh like gloves from stick and poking and painted nails onto it and filled it with paper towels and then like glued it to my my uh my jacket shoulder um <laughs> so then we could have the hand with us and uh wow my, my partner is very tall and lean and very um very gorgeous and uh mm. i'm short and and chubby and so it was perfect <laughs> it was a really good morticia and gomez and that's so cute yeah oh my God. but i think that the thing i look forward to most for halloween is getting drunk and carving pumpkins because 
Yeah. I do. Oh, yeah. I drink hot toddies, which are my favorite. <laughs> and I carve the same yeah. pumpkin that I've been carving ever since I was uh, ever since I was four years old, which is a barfing pumpkin. <laughs> and so <laughs> you gut the pumpkin, get yeah. all the seeds out, and then you carve two little eyes that are all squished up and then one big mouth it's very similar to like the mr yuck stickers if you've ever seen those and then yeah (laughs) like outside on your porch you lay down a piece of newspaper with the pumpkin and like all the pumpkin guts out of it with like little pieces of candy corn and things inside so it looks like it threw up everywhere oh god (laughs) and then for the week following halloween crows get to fight over the pumpkin seed and so your house <laughs> is just flocked with corvid and it's oh, fantastic yeah. and it's very spooky that's and when so, you get them gifts and then you befriend them oh i'm already really good friends with the crows um oh there's a couple of crows it was a a couple that then had two kids two little young crows and uh the original crow chip i believe has has passed on because i have not seen him in in about a year um but his two sons <laughs> ding tong and ketchup are doing really <laughs> well oh, um, and so i'm really good friends with ding dong and ketchup and i sorry their names make me laugh every time yeah. long live and, ding dong and ketchup for real and yeah. i feed them and they brought me a seashell oh, oh that's so cute oh my God. yeah I, I felt very lucky and whenever i make a specific sound they'll always uh come down to where i am and wow. sometimes they walk me to the bus stop and they'll fly around me and like their little wingtips will brush against the back of my head Ooh, oh, that's so cute! Oh my god! I love the crows. They make yeah. me so happy, yeah. and so that's I'm excited. So I'm excited to give Ding Dong and Ketchup the the barfing pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then Ophelia, I know that you have a very interesting, cool costume in mind. Do you plan yeah. on going to a party with that, or are you gonna? do what i wish i could and go trick-or-treating as an adult in which case oh i admire you um or what are what are your plans oh my gosh i wish i could trick-or-treat as an adult yeah. you know yeah. i might i might be able to like get a pity vote in <laughs> um just like being yeah <laughs> <laughs> With the fucking... oh my gosh that would be so funny just like I, I want to go as Carrie, right? Yeah. And I just, I think people would really sympathize with that, with, mm-hmm. a, with just a little guy. Yeah. Aww. You are just a little guy. Mm-hmm. Just a little fella in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Covered in blood. Yeah. Covered in blood. Awesome. And out uh-huh. for murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw years ago a clip of people um, that had a very lifelike doll that had its arms extended with like a pumpkin trick-or-treat bag and it was in like a skeleton costume with its face covered so you could not tell it was a doll. It looked very lifelike and they would put it on the person's porch. They would knock or ring the doorbell. The person would open the door, give the candy in the bucket. The kid obviously can't walk away because it's not a kid. But then they would just be looking at it. And the parent, 
now in quotes here, the parent would be like, oh, he's shy, but thank you. And then they would kind of just awkwardly close the door and then they would pick up the dog away. So I'm just saying, if either of you wanted to try that, I have been considering trying to get a doll that for you. Just see. I just want to know what would happen. <laughs> but I have well, had... We live in like relatively the the same area we could pull that off we could scheme <laughs> yeah we really should i i would i would love to just test that out and see if i could make that work because i don't know it sounds like the solution all my solution all my problems if i could just get a doll like that <laughs> that's just a little <laughs> candy yeah yeah might be throwing a party i don't Ooh. know i had this idea it to like have a Twilight watch party. Oh my god! Oh yes, and have like Twilight vampire themed drinks, which was my original plan was to like be a classy vampire. But I had watched Carrie, and my friends were like, "Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you have to do that." Yeah. You're a classy vampire every other day of the year, though. Yeah, that's so point. true. Good point. I yeah. am like actually allergic to the sun. Fun fact. Yeah, me too. I'm as pale as they come. <laughs> It is hard to live in California, but uh, yeah, yeah, but well, I think, I guess my plan at this point is just like, maybe go to some kind of event, if I can find somebody to go with, um, (laughs) go to some kind of like Halloween event on the day of, so I have something to do, and then, you know, get drunk, because, um, you know, what else am I going to do with my time? If I can't trick-or-treat, I'm going to be getting drunk, and that is all I have to say. (laughs) Doing it in a costume. I'm going to be handing out kids or candy to kids. Yeah, kids yeah. Candy. Candy. <laughs> I'm going to be handing out kids. I would love to come to your place then and get a kid that I can use to take trick or treating with me. So I'm having a good time. Oh my God. Yeah. It's all like coming together. Idea. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like a business. Rent a kid. Yeah. yeah. See, I would get that. Halloween. Halloween. I would, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that should be a business. <laughs> that would do well, I predict. But anyway, I would give out candy, but I live in a place that I cannot give out candy, which is the other thing that I feel um, resentful about. Is like I can't even give out candy, so I can't participate in trick or treating at all. And it's just like, ha! Ah, let me let me do something with trick or treating. So I moved to Canada about four years ago. I'm originally from the U.S., um, which I try not to tell people in Canada because I'm trying to fit in. But there's some things that perplex me. Yeah, which is uh, in Vancouver, B.C., Halloween is a fireworks holiday. Which I don't oh, fucking understand. Like, it's always rainy and overcast. No. So you're not going to be like fireworks. But every Halloween, I forget. And then it happens. Like, the, the sun sets. And then there's just firecrackers going off everywhere. And it's like, oh, it's, it, it's happening. The end of the All oh, right, it's Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's only in Vancouver, and- BC. It's not even in, in other provinces. Wow, that's weird. That's so weird. And also, they celebrate um, Thanksgiving in October, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly what? right. And as a Canadian, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be making a turkey for on the Canadian <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Any- Dude, they say decal instead of decal. Wow. Decal. Wow. That is. Are you serious? And yes. I just, I thought everyone was fucking with me. Or like <laughs> little plastic folders are called duotangs. What? Duotangs? 
Canada is it's a not dystopia. real. It's not yeah. real. Their money's plastic. <laughs> I know and it coins. is really fun. And we got loonies and toonies. The true speculative fiction experience is Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us as we walk down the darkened path of our first episode. I hope you had as much fun as we did and that you'll join us again when we release our next episode in October. In the meantime, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Instagram at monstrous underscore femme. You can also support the show by leaving a positive review, which would be very kind and much appreciated. Until next time, stay monstrous. Monstrous.